Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Bodak. I'm here with Chad Foster. Chad, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Josh. Yourself? I'm very good. And I'm very curious. So in our last episode, you said that you're going to commit to some sort of camping experiment. There's a, a wife involved. There are kids involved. Yep. There's uh, the challenge of putting up a tent when you're blind. And, and then there were some emails since where you said, this is a little harder than I thought, or it was a bit of a challenge. I mean, you had other things going on in life. You can't just, yeah. uh, camping means you're not doing something else. So if other things are taking priority, there's other things. Yeah. On the other hand, there's camping in the backyard. And so I'm really curious how it's worked out. But before we do that, yep. I'm going to ask you, there was something else that you said toward the end of our last session that mm-hmm. it's a message that you, I've heard from you other times. It's life hands you things you didn't ask for sometimes. Sure. And I wonder if you can say that message and because increasingly the message that you're giving, and I, I talked to last time about this guy, Blake, he just came back from winning a silver medal in the Paralympics. Uh, he lost both legs to a uh, flesh eating disease. Mm. And there's a message of life hands you something that you can't, you can't prepare for it. Sometimes it happens, but yeah. that's not the end of life, right? You still, and, and you, you've had experiences that a lot of people haven't. I wonder if you could state that. And then I want to ask you to say it again with regard to the environment or try to see if, if I believe it translates directly into what everyone fears, but I think that people will have great lives even more so after they realize that maybe if they're not getting everything they want, whenever they want, however they want, no matter who suffers for it, it might lead to a better life. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting concept. I think a lot of people, yeah, it's, it's natural to be frustrated when life doesn't go your way and when things don't happen on your agenda. We all have what we would like to have happen in our lives. We have a vision for ourselves when we're growing up and what we think we want to be when we grow up and life happens. Circumstances change, but at the end of our lives, none of us on this planet are responsible for all of the circumstances in our lives. But at the end of the day, we've got to be accountable for our lives and the outcomes in our lives. So it's my life, regardless of the circumstances. So I'd better own it. If I don't, who will? And so, Josh, it's your life. You've got to own your life. Nobody else is going to own your life for you. So whether you fall, you know, victim is 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 the, the word I, I tend to think of. It's easy for us to be victims of circumstance, whether it's a flesh-eating disease or going blind in your 20s in college like I did. But I think what happens to you doesn't have to affect your mindset. Sure, it changes your circumstances, but I think that the victim mindset allows you to be consumed by the situation, but having a visionary mindset allows you to bounce back from a situation. And so how can you take some unpalatable circumstances and and use them and bounce back from them? And sometimes even better than before, sometimes you can bounce back better than before and experience that post-traumatic growth and become a better version of yourself. And I think what you talked about, uh, whether it's you know, the Paralympics or in the business world or in the environment, right? Things are going on in the environment right now. We know that what we do day to day, we're starting to have more awareness of the consequences of our actions and We don't own all of the actions of of other people in the environment, but at the end of the day, it's our earth, so we've got to own it. If each of us individually and collectively don't own our part in it, then who will? I think it's up to each of us to own our part, and if we we do that individually, 
collectively we're going to see a lot better outcomes in this one earth we've been given to live on. How much of this, the difference between the victim mindset and the visionary mindset, how much of the, after you started losing your vision and you knew you were going to lose it, how much of it was victim? How much of it, how much of your attitude was victim and visionary versus, and how long did it take to change if it changed? Well, it was 100% victim when I first went blind. It was 100%. It was poor me. And that's how I felt for quite some time. You know, for months, I, I kept making excuses and not until my experience at Leader Dogs for the Blind did it change completely. And I think it's it's a shift that we all each have to make on our own terms. But I think for me, what got me over the hump, what helped me to get to the other side of that was just recognizing that you know, I, I didn't sign up for all of my circumstances. I was always focused on, you know, the sort of unsavory part of my life and my journey. But I started looking around me when I was getting my first guide dog and I started to recognize that it could have been a lot worse and I could have been dealt a much more difficult hand. And I started to realize that, you know what, I've been given a lot of really wonderful things in my life, despite the challenges that have been presented me. And I saw that it's one thing to hear about it. But when you live with someone and you you experience the experience on a day-to-day basis for a month, it really shifts your perspective. And for me, that was, that was a tipping point that permanently seared in my memory that happiness is not a feeling and it's not an emotion. It is a decision we choose to make and it's anchored to our gratitude and the things that we all very naturally take for granted. We all take things for granted, whether it's me and my eyesight or maybe it's we're taking for granted the health of our planet. I think it's, uh, it's important to remember that we've been given these gifts that we all kind of just inherently take for granted and bringing our conscious attention to those things. And that's why every night with my kids, we, we do a gratitude session where we just, each of us go around saying three things that we're thankful for so that we can reframe our perspective and bring more conscious attention to the things that we're grateful for so that we don't take them for granted as much so that hopefully that becomes part of the muscle memory. And I think there's, you know, there's, a lot to be said for just paying attention to the things that you have versus the things that you lack, um, which I think is a is a, a tendency for a lot of people, including myself, for quite some time. But now it's it's become more of a habit and a muscle memory. Are you fully visionary now, or is it is it have you gone from one hundred zero to zero hundred, or are you fifty fifty, or how how much have you transitioned? Uh, I would say, I mean, I'm not sure I ever reach a hundred on the visionary. But I would say I'm I'm probably 90, 95. I am I've flipped completely. I'm happier now than when I could see. I'm more successful now than when I could see. I'm more accountable for my actions now than when I could see. I am more fearless now than when I could see. I'm more willing to step through discomfort now. I would say because I cannot see. It forced my situation forced me to reframe the way that I look at the world. It forced me to improve my perspective, my focus, my effort, and my determination. I'm a better person today because of my blindness and not in spite of it. I think I would be less successful if I could still see. So for me, it's been a journey of recognizing my accountability in my life. Excuses aren't going to take me to where I want to be in my life. And at the end of my life, I'm the person who has to live with the outcomes of my life. So how can I live a life that's more in line with my values and what I want to get out of it so that uh, I don't look at it at the end of my life and go, well, could have, should have, would have, because that obviously doesn't, it's not going to make me any happier at the end of my life if I have all these legitimate excuses as to why I didn't get what I wanted out of it. 
So you say that your life is better for it. Could you have learned these? Could you have gone through this transition without losing your sight? I mean, I'm guessing that part of what you're trying to do is to bring to others that transition without them having to lose their sight. Completely. Yeah, it's all about mindset. That's exactly what I'm trying to do is is help people have a more intentional mindset as opposed to a reactionary mindset. You know, it's it's easy to get caught up in the moment and lose track of the simple fact that we all have space that we can insert between whatever happens around us and how we choose to show up and how we choose to respond. And in that space is where greatness can happen. It's being more intentional. It's being more thoughtful and having the right perspective and the meaning we attach to the events in our lives so that we can show up with a different mindset that instead of keeping us trapped as a victim mindset will do, we show up with a visionary mindset that can help us bounce back. Are you aware of how exact this message is for changing our culture to sustainability? Because everyone thinks that these things that lead to all of our pollution and all the problems that we're seeing is a mindset of if we don't grow, then you know everyone will lose their jobs and there will be a tax base and infrastructure will crumble and hospitals will close and everyone's going to die at 30 years old, which is not the case, mm-hmm. but everyone believes it. And the mindset shift, and if we don't shift our mindset, then we're always feeling like we're depriving ourselves mm-hmm. by not consuming. But consuming and quality of life are not the same thing. I mean, they are if you're like barely able to survive. But in America, that's, I mean, I've dropped 90% and I was a little bit more than average footprint. But most Americans have a lot of fat they can trim before they're getting to, which is pure improvement of their lives. It's interesting. Um, I see a, a parallel. You said that too, between you say consumption and quality of life. And I think about the quality of my life and what I've been able to consume, my consumption of information visually fell off a cliff, obviously. What I can, and some of the things that, that I can no longer do, I can no longer drive, obviously. I can no longer, there are certain sports that I cannot play, many things that I'm no longer able to do. But interestingly, my quality of life, I would feel, has not suffered. Sure, I would still love to be able to play basketball. Sure, I would still love to be able to drive a car. I get a lot of fulfillment and enjoyment and quality of life, though, from the challenges that I've identified in my life that that give me meaning and and give me purpose. And so I think a lot of it gets down to it's the meaning we attach, but it's also how we orient that to our purpose. Because I really, truly, firmly believe that if I were at where I'm at right now, but didn't have the challenges getting here, i.e. I didn't go blind and things were just a little bit easier for me to get here, I don't think I would be as fulfilled. I think I'm more fulfilled because of the challenges that I had to face along the way and how that forced me to grow as a person and to put in more effort and more focus and more determination. And the fact that the hill that I had to climb was so tall made me really appreciate the view once I got to the top. I know it's ironic using a <laughs> mm-hmm. the view metaphor as a blind person, but but if it's if it's handed to us and we don't have to work that hard for it, whatever it is, whether it's a career, it's the environment, it's the whatever, are we really going to appreciate it and respect ourselves as much? So I think the the meaning, the stories and the purpose that we have and the effort we have to, to put into things I think there's a lot of similarities between what you're talking about with the environment 
and uh, and you know consumption going down, but that doesn't necessarily have to be a corollary with quality of life. Depends on how you view quality of life and how much of that do you derive from purpose and things outside of you, right? And that's one of the reasons I'm doing what I'm doing today is trying to help people on my journey because I get more fulfillment by moving beyond myself and focusing on other people and helping other people live their best lives. And that's very similar to what we're talking about with the environment. Move beyond yourself and what you can consume for you and how you can create a a more stable, sustainable environment for everybody. I think a lot of people treat flying or, you know, turning on the air conditioner in late April and leaving it on 24-7 until October as you viewed sight, except that I think almost anyone, if they were given the option, would you rather give up flying or would you rather give up your sight? I think almost everyone would choose they'd rather give up flying, but you lost your sight and you're talking about greater meaning. And I think people don't realize that giving up flying, it's not giving up. I mean, I don't think you would choose if, I don't know, if you could go back, would you choose to lose your vision again? Or would you keep the vision, but find ways to go through that transformation without, I mean, that's what you're trying to do. If I understand you right, is not, if you could go back, you'd probably not lose the sight, but you would still go through what you need to, to gain the greater quality of life, the more appreciation. It's a, it's a tough question to answer. You would think the knee-jerk reaction would be, I don't want to lose my eyesight. But the truth of the matter is, after I lost my eyesight, my vision actually improved over the course of my life because I stopped looking all around me and I started looking deep inside of me. And if I could never have the, the clarity that I have in my life about where happiness is derived, about where reward, fulfillment, and enjoyment are derived and, and how I can live a happier, more successful life. I derived a lot of those things from the experiences I had after going blind or as I was going blind. And the the amount of enjoyment I get from helping other people, it's pretty pretty hard to replace uh, the, the, the feeling that you get when you're helping other people. So if I could never experience those things without having gone through blindness or, you know, I, I don't know that I, I don't know that I could, I could opt for being able to see throughout my entire life because the journey that I've been on, like I say, it's blindness for me has been a beautiful gift disguised in some really ugly wrapping paper. Do you often think about this, like evaluate it one way or the other, or is this something you rarely think about, but maybe in a conversation online, it comes up? I wouldn't say that I I often think about it. I have often thought about it. Do I now? No, I've sort of come to the conclusion that if you were to offer me my eyesight back, but I wouldn't be able to help other people, I I wouldn't be able to take it. Um, Just because I know that there's so much more fulfillment I get out of helping other people that it wouldn't be worth, let's go back to our analogy, the consumption of things with my eyes. The trade-off wouldn't be worth it for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know your taste for applying your message to sustainability, but you're delivering something. You're saying something that is exactly what I think a lot of people could use to hear so that they don't feel like we're all doomed so much as we all have, I think maybe in your words, it might be a mountain to climb that when we get to the top, we'll be really glad that we did. I mean, let's not forget that there are already people who are suffering and dying all around the world. In America, it's not quite as serious as other places, although in America, it's also happening too. But it's been happening for decades elsewhere. But when I say that message, one of the chips on my shoulders, on my shoulder is uh, 
<laughs> the two people in the world who almost everyone that I do this, this podcast with, and, and also outside the podcast, just in regular life, I, I do the sportic method of walking them through to take on a challenge. The two people who don't get it the most are my parents. And it really gets me. So I forget if it was my mom or my dad or my stepfather, but one of them said, look, I just don't have the passion for not flying that you do. And because I talk about the great joys of being local and you know, once I stop feeling like, oh, the only way I can see the beauty of the world is I have to go to the Grand Canyon or out into space, I realize how much more beauty there is all around me. I, don't, I can just ride my bike or just walk across the street. Mm-hmm. But I think many people see me and they think, well, he hasn't suffered and I've suffered and he doesn't re- recognize. He's just like, he's like walking through a field of daisies and now he's like, he found like a nicer daisy. No, I, I mean, I've suffered too, but although I would probably choose any of the things I've had over losing my sight, but you've lost your sight. And I don't think people can look at you and say, oh, he doesn't know my suffering. He hasn't really gone through life like I have. And your message doesn't have to change very much. Although, well, you'd have to do some things on sustainability. Well, actually, well, I'll use this after, after you comment on, on this. If, it, if I'm curious your taste of applying it to sustainability, if interested. And then I'm curious about how the camping went. Yeah, I think it it makes sense to, I think there are a lot of similarities uh, between what I talk about in mindset and shifting mindset and shifting a leadership culture and and helping people be more resilient, uh, applying it to sustainability. I, I don't think there's, you know, there's um, much debate that we we could all use a little more momentum and inertia of creating a more sustainable future. The path we're on right now is, is, you know, clearly not sustainable. So I think it would be, it would be interesting to explore that, that concept a little further to see how we can, we can create a little more awareness and give people some of the, the tools that they can use to think differently about how we can all play a greater role in sustainability. But my gut tells me that there's a space for a speaker on that. And you know, leading workshops, and that I think people want it. People want to know that there's there's people who haven't lived it are like, oh, this is this is actually an opportunity. To me, it sounds hollow if they've unless they've actually lived it, unless they've actually made a transition like the one that you've gone through. Right. Yeah, it was a big one for sure, and it you know, it ninety nine percent of our outcomes in our lives, in my opinion, it's sure effort and planning and strategy and all of those things are very important. But if you don't have the right mindset, the right shift in the way that you show up and the intention that you bring to a situation, then all of those efforts, unfortunately, are, are going to just be a little watered down. But all that, all that being said, my camping experiment did not go so well, if I'm being totally honest. So I've got to, I've got to go back to the drawing board on that one. I, was as you and I talked about. So we traded a couple of emails, and I was telling you how I've been, you know, having to deal with a lot more responsibility and uh, not being at home as much, taking care of of, of work and, and business and things like that. And so we came up with the idea, uh, which I thought was a good idea and an executable idea to to do some camping in the backyard. I got shot down by my son, uh, who's five, which blew me away. I didn't think he would. He would shoot me down, and uh, it, we were supposed to go camping actually this week. And I, I couldn't get any interest from my wife. She was, you know, she was like, "Nope, that's you and Jackson, my son, who's five. And I didn't, uh, I didn't get a lot of interest from him. So I'm going to have to continue to to kind of 
explore that with him and see if I can get him a little more motivated. I think he got a little scared at being the time of year, truthfully, with Halloween. And he's been into this <laughs> this theme of tarantulas lately. He's five. So he's thinking about spiders and everything. I think he got a little freaked out about being out at night and on the on the patio. And But I, it's it's something that's manageable for sure. And I think he's... um. It's something when he once he does it, I know he would find he would love it and he would be interested in it. But I think it was just the the timing, maybe, and, and the lack of effort on my part and getting him on board. I didn't do enough caring and feeding for the idea to take root and take shape inside of him for him to want to go, you know, want to go do that this week. But I'm not I'm not giving up on it because it is something I want him to experience genuinely, and I think he will love it once he does experience it. My wife is a tougher sell for sure, but I think my son could definitely get behind it. But didn't didn't work out exactly how I thought it would on this attempt. Um, it wasn't it wasn't a slam dunk like I'd hoped it would be. I'm curious how it went. Was it like, hey son, we're gonna go out camping tonight? Or did you prepare more than that? Or how did if you don't mind sharing? No, it was it was a little more than that. So I asked him, I said, hey, you know, are you uh are you interested in doing something fun outdoors? He's like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, and I said, well, you know, what do you say? What do we, um, let's camp out on your, he has a play set in the backyard. We just got him for his last birthday and it has this lookout tower. So I'm like, why don't we climb up to the lookout tower and I mean, you can get up there and we can camp out tonight. What do you think? And he goes, mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it was, <laughs> he said it so matter of factly. It's cute, you know. When you're five, you can get by with some of that stuff. But I, um, and, and admittedly, I, I didn't start watering the seed ahead of time. I mean, it was one or two conversations. It wasn't like I'd been planting and watering that seed for long enough. I need to do a little bit more work with that. Uh, but I think you know, he's not been as exposed to the outdoors as I was growing up. And and part of that's on me, frankly, and uh, the environment that we've been bringing them up and try to, you know, take them, taking them out and done some fishing and yeah, we, we get outside, uh, but just in the sort of in the, I want to say the wild because we live in a neighborhood and even the campgrounds aren't wild, but you know, out in nature, it's not, it's not been as pervasive for him as it was for me growing up. I'm partly wondering, well, I'm going to say to you what I say to, to the guests that I have when it doesn't go as planned, which is that I appreciate you sharing it because I'm not, the goal of this podcast is not to say, it's easy, just do this and you're done. And I'd like to have leaders and people who've had experiences, who've experienced and expressed the ups and downs in life so that they don't try to hide it. And they say, well, it didn't work out as planned so that people, listeners don't feel like, oh, it's easy. Or if I don't, if I don't do it, if it doesn't work out for me, I should just give up or whatever they might think that, I heard you say, you're not done with this. You're going to keep, keep at it. So I hope you'll come back another time and share how it went after it does work out. And then as you were saying at the end, I couldn't help but think of the experience of camping blind or the experience of nature blind. And I just started wondering, imagining, I mean, certainly I've been out and like closed my eyes, but you earlier in this conversation said that you see more and you talk about looking inward. And I wonder if your experience of nature has changed without visually seeing it, looking outward. Yeah, certainly. I think I'm more, anytime you lose one of your senses, you pay attention to the remaining senses. And certainly being out in nature is no exception. While I would would be untruthful if I said I didn't miss the 
the visual beauty of nature, I, I do stop and I, I pay attention to, you know, all the different sounds that you hear when you're out and the, the different things that you can appreciate. And certainly it's made me more reflective and, and more contemplative and, and appreciative of the things that I can take in, but, but it's, it's a different kind of experience. Truthfully, it's a, it's a, it's a different experience. I'm not saying it's, is it worse? Is it better? it's different. And it's, you know, in some ways, you know, you can feel, you can feel more connected to it because I feel like I'm, I don't lose myself as much in what I'm looking at. I'm more, I think in many ways kind of present and grounded and what's going on around me because I'm not just, I'm not distracted by what my eyes are telling me. That makes any sense. If you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Yeah, I mean, you're getting me thinking in all sorts of different ways of what my experience, I mean, I was thinking of like the the breeze on my face, the sound of the the leaves and the trees, distances are going to feel different. So here I am at like you a long, long time ago, I would guess. And I also think... I'll get myself in trouble and don't answer it if it's, if it's too personal, but I mean, you're married. It's, I would imagine sex is going to be very different too. And I think of how visual things can be, but then it could not be. Is that something, do you get asked that a lot? Uh, from time to time. Yeah. From time to time. And no, I don't mind it. Look, you, you pay more attention. I think it's, um, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, might have sex with their eyes closed. I don't have to go through the trouble of closing my eyes, you know, <laughs> it just, <laughs> it saves me a step. And so, I think I'm more tuned in, frankly, um, to the the energy, and obviously it's a it's a physical thing, and so it's not as much about what you see; it's more about the connection you have with the the other person. And so I feel like it's, you know, it's it's a better experience. How about when when you're out? I think of seeing uh, a woman, and I find her attractive. Like I see her, and I think, oh, I'm attracted to her. Mm-hmm. But there's her giggles, and I mean. How does that change, if you don't mind my asking? No, I think what I noticed after I went blind is, you know, we all have these visual filters we put on our lives when we can see. And our visual filters determine, in many cases, whether or not we have conversations with people, whether we want to admit that or not. We're all inherently biased in some way. And we might not have a conversation with somebody because maybe visually it it doesn't meet doesn't pass our filter and i think what happened with me after i went blind is i ended up having a lot more engaging and interesting conversations with people who i may not have ever talked to because of the filter was gone you know i, I no longer was i constrained by this filter of what my eyes were telling me i could just have a conversation with somebody and not have to worry about this visual filter and and meet that person get to know that person, kind of where they are and, and who they are and who they are deep inside, not how they appear on the outside. And so I would say that 
in many ways, I was able to have many more conversations and get to know people in a way that maybe otherwise wouldn't be possible because I wasn't wasn't hamstrung by this visual filter that a lot of us carry around. And uh, in many ways, I, I, I feel like it was really a liberating experience because I wasn't uh, I wasn't living under the auspices of of that visual filter anymore, and I could I could have these really wonderful conversations with people maybe that I, I wouldn't have otherwise engaged. I'm slow to respond now, just because I'm just I guess maybe people thought about this before. I just haven't that much of how much more you're picking up from nuances of voice. I mean, I'm guessing you're going to hear their personality not just in the words that they say, but all the different like are they hurried or are they are they upbeat or downbeat? And then there's going to be touch is going to involve in a different way. So now I'm getting way off topic from sustainability, but I hope you don't mind my indulging my curiosity and kind of exploring. No, I don't mind at all. Certainly. Yeah. You pay more attention to the tone and the texture and the words that are, that are being spoken and, and the tenor and all of that is something that when, when you can't see, I like to think of it like this. When you can see, 90% of what goes to your brain comes from your eyes. Well, when you remove that option, you've freed up 90% of your intake to focus on the remaining senses. And so, yeah, you pay a lot more attention to the words the person is using and how they're saying them and their, their cadence and the way they string phrases together. And it's... um. I feel like I'm a much better listener than I used to be. And maybe that's because I've got nothing else to do, right? But listen. So it does make me a better listener because it's taken some of the options off the table. I'm not as I'm not as much of a gazer as I used to be, right? I don't gaze into into the sunset or someone's eyes like I used to be able to do, but certainly I can I can pay more attention to what they're saying and the meaning they're trying to convey. And and um I think that that helps me in many ways see the person better because I'm, I'm seeing what's inside of them as opposed to how they look on the outside. And I can see what, when you say that the changes that you've gone through and how you, you like life more for it. And partly I'm also thinking of, um, there's a picture of you and your dog and the dog's like absolutely adorable and you haven't seen your dog, but I'm guessing that the dog is just as adorable. I mean, cause there, there's going to be like how the fur feels. Yeah. I mean, maybe your dog is just utilitarian to you. I'm not sure. No, no, no. My dog is, he's awesome. So Sarge is, I've never had a dog that just as much as Sarge just wanted to make me happy. He is <laughs> the most precious animal that I've ever seen. I've had, I've had guide dogs and I'm not saying anyone is better than the other, but they all have different personalities. And, but even in comparison to the best dogs that you could ever imagine, guide dogs, most highly trained service dogs that you can find. This dog is really extraordinary and unique in that he genuinely just wants to make me happy. He, there's like, I have to use almost no correction with this dog whatsoever because he's just so genuinely interested in making me happy. It's the most adorable thing in the world. So Sarge is amazing. He's um, got a huge heart, obviously. He's very well-trained and you know, he's a dog that came with a cape. He's a super dog. He <laughs> helps me travel all over the world. Sarge and I have been to, I don't know, 20 or 30 countries, just the two of us, nobody assisting. And we go to countries where we can and cannot speak the language. Obviously, I can't read the signage and he's a German shepherd. So unless it's in German, that's a, <laughs> you know, he's not going to be able to read the signage either. But but it, it's a, it's an interesting partnership when you've got 
dog that is leading you around and it's it's teamwork right and so the dog is only as helpful as my ability to work with him in a partnership and so the dog is guiding me point to point he can find if i I tell him sarge left curb he'll look to the left and look for a curb if i tell him right upstairs he'll look to the right and try to find me a place that goes upstairs if i tell him to look for an elevator he can do that but he's only as good as my ability to tell him big picture where I'd like for us to go. And so in the airport, if you think about it, I'm, I've got a map in my head of where we're going. If we're going to gate C-14, he doesn't know what C-14 is, but together as a team, I can communicate from the door to the TSA counter to the baggage uh, where you pick up your bag coming out of there to the train, to the gate. And together we can make that happen. So the amount of bond that you have with a dog when you're in a relationship like that to where it it really is, hey, I've got part of this responsibility and you've got part of this this responsibility. And together, me and you can accomplish a lot more together than we ever could alone. I think there's a lot to be said for that in teams and in in things like sustainability as well. Just knowing that individually, you know, we're limited. But when we when we work together, we can we can do a lot more together than we ever could by ourselves. The word touching comes to mind, but it's not, I mean, it is touching and it's heartwarming, but it's, it's amazing. Words, I don't have the words to to describe it. Uh, It it certainly reminds me of, um, I had another guest on the podcast, James Rebanks, who is a shepherd in England and he wrote these best-selling books. Mm -hmm. And when he, he didn't talk about it so much on the podcast, but in his books, the, a shepherd, a dog shepherd is like, it comes across like what you, I couldn't help but think of what he wrote because it's, it's absolutely essential, apparently, to have a dog when you're herding sheep. And they know what to do. They, they finish your thoughts. And, and then also just how much your message is... I mean, I'll say something I said to Blake was, uh, Blake Haxton was, if I could either have everyone in the world, or just say everyone in America, a lot of people get your outlook or give this, everyone enough solar and wind power that they could, all that they need in solar and wind. I would give them, if I had to choose between those, I would give them your outlook. It's much more valuable than technology. Mm. With that outlook, then technology becomes, can augment it. But without that outlook, the technology is just going to augment the outlook, the old outlook. Mm. Then they will be victims with a lot of electrical power. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I have people approach me and I'll, you know, whether it's after I've given a motivational talk or I've done a resilience workshop or, Sometimes I get people who are facing something. Maybe I'm coaching a client or maybe it's somebody who just inquires and, and they've got a situation they're, they're trying to deal with and they're, they're losing something. And, and I've, I've talked to many parents and individuals and some of them are losing their eyesight or they're facing something very traumatic. And the first thing that I tell them, I say, listen, I can point you in the direction of technology. I can help you identify what tools are available. And those are tactical things that are very important to have. But unless you get your outlook and your mindset established up front, that's the most important thing because it determines your emotions. It determines your psychology. It it determines your mental model, how you're showing up and and executing. And so you can have the, the best skills and planning and everything else. But unless you have the right mental model, and the way that you see things, all those things are great, but they're diluted, right? And you're never going to get to where 
you want to be. So that's the very first thing that I want to triage with people whenever they're going through something significant like that is how can we get your mind right? Because if, if we don't get your mind right, you're just going to spin your wheels. If we get your mind right and point it in a direction that's productive and learns how to internalize some of these things that are going on, then I think we've got the foundation poured. We've poured some concrete and, and now we can set you up for success and getting into the tactical and the skills. And those other things are a lot easier when you're, you're going into it with the right mindset. I'm going to have to quote you a lot or paraphrase you as I, until you have a bigger voice in the communities I'm trying to reach. Cause if we have the current mindset that we have now of extraction and growth, and then that plus say nuclear fusion is more of that. Mm-hmm. It's not to, like if we get fusion and let's say it's the fantasy case of, of no risk of, of uh, breakdown, no risk of terrorism, no risk of, you know, and let's just forget that it takes a lot of pollution to make the facilities. Mm-hmm. So let's say we have carbon free energy and let's forget of all the other pollution, but we retain the mindset where we'll hit the next limit to growth. If we change the mindset first, like what's not going to happen is that we're going to get nuclear and then we'll, or, or fusion and we'll, we'll live just like we are now, but without, with less pollution. What will happen is everyone's going to start inventing new things that like all sound great. And as long as we ignore the unintended side effects, but I mean, I don't want to go through the physics and the science of like what happens when you keep growing like that, but I'll point to people to the do the math blog by Tom Murphy at UCSD because he plays through what happens if we just keep growing. And it's not pretty, it, it like mm-hmm. doesn't play out well. But if we stop growing, then we have, if we stop with the mindset of growth and extraction and externalizing costs, we just get the situation we have now, but bigger. It's what uh, Norman Borlaug, the father of the Green Revolution, who won the Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. he went to save a lot of people's lives because people were dying in the street. And he knew that what he was doing was if we didn't, if we just saved the lives, that would be great. But we didn't. We didn't just save the lives. We also then, grew the population to more than what we could. Well, so far we haven't outpaced, we haven't uh, grown it to. No, then there were people who were uh, eating more, eating plenty too. Mm -hmm. But if we don't change the mindset and we just change the technology, the world as we have it now, the difference between the verdant, fertile world of our ancestors and ours today is the physical manifestation of our values and our culture. Yeah, it's just going to be more the same, right? It's going to be more efficient of the same. And efficiencies are great, but if we're just perpetuating more of the same at a greater scale, more efficiently, it's it helps, but it doesn't solve the problem. It helps in the short term and delays a bigger result. That's what it seems. It seems very clear to me that that's mm-hmm. what happens. Yeah. And your message and experience, your message based on experience of it's not the disaster that you think, or it's only, it's the disaster you make it or the, the joy that you make it. It is. What's your story? Are you telling yourself of a story of, well, I have to do this because, you know, we all have to own our part in it. Or are you telling yourself a story of, I have the opportunity to pave a better way for our children and to create a more sustainable planet uh, for, for everybody. And, and I, get to play a leadership role in that. And that's a really important thing. What's the frame? What's the lens that you're looking at the situation through? Is it of what you're giving up or is it what you get to save? And, and uh, again, it's the meaning we attach to those events and the stories you tell yourself about your role in it. And that to me is 
the most important thing, whether it's sustainability or blindness or, or you know, COVID or the economy or promotions or getting into university or, or relationships with your spouse or your kids or whatever. It's all these lenses or things that we can control and the way that we internalize things far more significant than the things alone. All Everything in between is there are facts and then there are stories and the stories we make up about the facts are, are what determine our emotions and our feelings as it relates to a particular matter. And some, you know, if, if we tell stories of victimhood, then it will be very depleting for us. And if we tell stories of uh, opportunity and, and how we can thrive in those conditions, then it can be very empowering and very motivating. I'm inclined to leave it right there. And because that is just, you, you just said it. And then I hope you'll come back uh, another time to share camping. I, I am because I've, I've I've got to get my average up. I'm I'm not I'm not good with that. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get my average up on the the camping. I'm disappointed, and I know my son has it in him. I just haven't pulled it out of him yet. This is blind ambition at work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is blind ambition. <laughs> Come on, son. So um, let's give that another go. So absolutely, I would love that. I'm really curious how the uh, how the interaction with the wife will play out too in the short term and long term, but only time will tell. I she, she's supportive of the idea as long as um, you know I don't drag her into a tent. I'm, I, that might be uh, might be a bridge too far. But hey, if I get my son enrolled, he's a pretty good salesperson. If I get my uh-huh. son enrolled, now that that could be a path. <laughs> he's a heck of a salesperson with her. He's a lot better salesperson with her than I. Am. <laughs> Well, all right, let's let's leave it there unless there's anything to add at the end. But I thought, I mean, what I'm good. What you said just before I said let's close there was to me right on. And yeah. certainly something for me to listen to again. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to have another conversation. I'll, I enjoy it as always. And it's interesting. It's interesting what what I really find, you know, because look, to be very blunt with you, I don't stop and think about all the parallels in these different universes that we're talking about. And so it's very interesting for me to just to, to go through the thought experiment with you of how much, how analogous these things are across different dimensions. And so uh, it's, it's good learning for me too. Well, I know I have a, what's the word, Machiavellian perspective here also, because I'm trying, I have a message that I think people will appreciate when they get it. And the people who do get it appreciate it in the way that you are appreciating it, I think. Mm-hmm. And so when I hear your message and your experiences, I think Oh, that would help me get a lot of, that would get me a lot of access. There's a lot of places that I could talk to, but I'm not you, but you are you. And so I'm thinking, oh man, that's a big opportunity there. Yeah. Maybe that's, you know, a Machiavellian business perspective, but I think business in the sense of. Let's put some thought into that. Maybe we can help one another. I think we should. Yeah. So the listeners, uh, tough for you guys, but we're, I'm going to stop the recording now, but we're going to, Chad and I are going to keep talking. So you have to listen to the next episode <laughs> to hear what comes of it. <laughs> How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.